Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear our sermon from our current series, The Book of James. As we read through James, we'll see how our faith in Christ should do more than just change the way we think, it should change the way we live. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Good morning again. We're glad you're here. Um, This morning we're in this series about the book of James. We're continuing on it and we're in the last section of chapter four. And I I just want to dig right in. Um, Think this one through. Those of you who were uh, at least five five years old in 1986, do you remember where you were on January 28th, 1986? That was the day that the Space Shuttle Challenger took off for the very last time. I remember where I was. I was driving to Gaithersburg, Maryland, where Cynthia lived and was working as a teacher in a school in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And um, she, along with uh, hundreds of thousands of school kids around the nation, were watching the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger because Krista McAuliffe, a teacher from New Hampshire, was on board and she was going to do uh, the Teacher in Space program and she was going to teach from space. Many of us remember uh, days when uh, big, uh, dramatic things happened and this was one of those days and I still remember what it was like. And, and I, I was thinking about it because, you know, Great collapses oftentimes start small. You know, I did a little research on the space shuttle program. Uh, What I discovered was that only about 40% of the time did the space shuttle actually launch. And and it usually launched because of what we would say is an overabundance of caution. You know, there was something that just didn't look right on the sensors or everything that was going on. And if you remember on January 28th, 1986, the thing that was an issue that was that on that day at Cape Canaveral, it was an unusually cold night and cold morning. It was below freezing. And after the disaster, they did an investigation And it turns out that the engineers had warned the officials that were higher than them that the O-rings, a very small part in in perspective, the O-rings on the the rocket booster, the the liquid rocket booster, um, would shrink and contract in cold weather. And in fact, uh, one of the engineers was testifying and he took an O-ring and he put it into a glass of ice water and they watched what happened right there at one of the testimonies. But you know, there was this issue of uh, success and pride uh, that was also pushing the shuttle to launch, as well as finances, because every time a launch mission was scrubbed, the liquid rocket booster had to be emptied at a cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars, and the shuttle had to be moved from the launch pad back into its hangar. And so there was all this money, and already we know the history of the shuttle launches is that only 40% of the time did they actually launch. And so those who were higher than the engineers for pride, for cost saving, 
pushed against common sense. And the space shuttle Challenger exploded before our eyes. The seven crew members were killed. And I'm sure hundreds of thousands of students still remember watching that. You know, the reality is that great collapses, great disasters, great catastrophes usually start really small. And in this case, it was a small item, an O-ring, but it was also a a seemingly small decision. No, we're not going to heed the warning of the engineers. This morning, we're going to talk about um, something that will seem tiny, tiny sins, things that that seem really insignificant, uh, but if they're not addressed, they can lead to a bigger sin, which can lead to a bigger sin, which can lead to a huge moral collapse. And we're going to look at two sins this morning, two sins that some of them you you may not think about uh, very much because they sort of uh, are things that aren't on our radar all the time. And the first one we're going to look at is this. It's called the sin of pride, okay? You know, the reality is, you know, we're told to be proud in our work. We were actually meeting, the worship team and I were meeting before service, and we were preparing, and we were talking about the the whole thing that, you know, um, that we've been taught to do our best, you know, to give excellence to God. But somehow, you know, we can sort of flip that and become prideful. So listen to what James says. He says, now listen, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. You know, James is driving at this truth that oftentimes we make plans for our lives. We make plans about what we're going to do and what we're going to accomplish based on our dreams, based on our will and what we want to do without ever thinking about bringing in God's will for what he has for us, how he's gifted us, what he's called us to do. And you know what? He doesn't make all of those things fail because sometimes we make plans on our own and don't involve God and they succeed and and do things that we were hoping they would do. But what he's saying is when we don't involve God, when we don't submit to his will, when we submit to our will, which is really not submitting because we enjoy doing our will, don't we? But when we don't submit to God's will, we're involving ourselves in the sin of pride. And it all goes back, really, to the beginning. It goes back to the Garden of Eden because why did Adam and Eve disobey God and eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and bad, good and evil? Did they want to disobey God? No, they didn't want to disobey God. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to to determine their own lives and agenda. And yes, they didn't want to be told what to do and what not to do. I mean, isn't that sort of the natural human condition that we all wrestle with? But they wanted to determine their future and their plans and their lives. They wanted to be like God. When we think that we're in charge of our lives and don't bring God into it, we're living like independent operators, like Adam and Eve did. 
Now, again, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us because, look, you know, every parent, I think, would agree that you want to raise your child to be an independent contributor to society, right? You don't want them coming home and living with you for the rest of your life. You want them to to grow up and to be self-sufficient and independent. We're, We're told in school constantly to do our best. You know, employers look for employees who are self-motivated, who are willing to, to give 100%. So, so there's all this messaging that we're always receiving to, to you know, do our best, uh, you know, look, do everything we can to push ourselves forward, to promote ourselves. But do we bring God into that picture? Every day we have opportunities to bring God into our future. I, I was listening to a podcast by Francis Chan. Francis Chan is, if you're in one of our life groups, you hear Francis Chan, you hear and see him speak every week because he's teaching us in our life group series right now on the book of James. And, and Francis Chan tells a story that when he was a high school student, he used to go to high school camp and he said, you know, I, I would go and there would be this, this uh, pastor who would come and teach and I, and the pastor would make us laugh and then he would convict us of our sin. And, and it was such a powerful experience. And he goes, I used to dream about being that guy. And then one day I was asked to be that guy. And he said, one of the things that I began to ru- wrestle with was, was my own pride about who I see myself as and, and, and what I want to do. And, and I found myself uh, at the end of the week, they would always have a campfire. And at that campfire, they would talk about what God had done in their lives. And he said, I didn't have to go, but I wanted to go. And the reason I wanted to go was I wanted to hear the students talk about me, about what I had said that had impacted their lives, not about what God had done. And we see how how pride comes into our lives. Carrie Newoff has written this. Unaddressed pride will destroy many of the things you care about or know you should care about. It will leave a trail of destruction strewn with things you used to value or that a better version of you would treasure. Pride will snuff out your empathy, stifle your compassion, create division, suffocate love, foster jealousy, deaden your soul, and make you think all this is normal. It can turn you into the kind of person you loathe. Even if it doesn't do that, it will infect your relationships with a toxin that may not be fatal, but is poisonous enough to ruin your joy. Boy, that was intense. Let's look at some of the opportunities where pride can creep into our lives. You know, and when pride creeps in, it sneaks in sometimes and it drives a wedge between who we think we are and who God says we are, okay? First, insecurity can lead to pride and it can start with a comparison trap. So let's just look at a, at a comparison where pride comes in. And Jesus tells this story in the Gospel of Luke. He says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, see, pride in comparison, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week and I give a tithe of all I get. But the tax collector, tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The insecure Pharisee was proud and arrogant, and he compared himself to others. On the other hand, the tax collector knew that he was a sinner, even if he was good at what he did. He knew he wasn't perfect. So we have to recognize that that, that comparison trap is one of the ways that, that pride captures us and sneaks into our lives. We also have to recognize that pride sneaks in if we're performance driven. It can be an issue of pride. You know, the reality is if we're so thinking about our success, sometimes we can't celebrate other people's success. If we have to be in control of everything, then that's an issue of pride. The reality is this, pride inoculates us from the counsel of others and their conscience. So let me remind you of a, of a story in Scripture where we see this happening. Um, you know that King David is one of the greatest kings who ever ruled Israel, and he transformed and transitioned the nation, uh, the people of Israel, to, uh, from a ragtag group of former refugees to become a nation on a global scale. And from all we can tell, he did it while keeping a pure heart. In fact, we, we read about that. You know, his pure heart is, is held up as a model by other leaders in the faith. And when you read the Psalms, many of the Psalms really are his journal entries about how he lived his life. And you could see how he kept his heart pure. Um, that was until David reached the pinnacle of his power. Uh, if you know the story... Uh, one day, David uh, strolled onto the rooftop of where he was living uh, when he should have been off in battle with his army, but he had stayed home and he had let his generals take the lead. And while he was on the rooftop, he spotted a gorgeous woman who was bathing, and it turned out she was uh, married and her husband was where David should have been. He was out on the, in the battlefield fighting with the army. So Evidently, David didn't care. He summoned that woman. Her name was Bathsheba. He seduced her and he got her pregnant. And the next thing David does is to cover up his immoral act, he calls Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. He calls him back from battle so that he will go home and sleep with his wife. But Uriah has more integrity than that. He said, I will not do that while my fellow soldiers are in the battle. And so he sleeps in front of the castle walls. So David says, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get him drunk. So he, he, uh, he gets him sufficiently drunk, thinking that if he gets him drunk, he'll go back home and he'll sleep with his wife. But Uriah, again, has too much integrity for that. And so David concluded that the only option he had to do was to kill Uriah. He sent Uriah back to the battle, to the front lines, and he ordered the commander to send him there where death was likely, and it was. Uh, he was killed. Um, 
in battle. The battle was intense. Now, no longer would David have to risk his sin being exposed. But in a twist of irony, David took Bathsheba home to be his wife. Here's the deal. What contributed to this? Pride. David wasn't where he should have been. David thought that he could have any woman that he wanted. David thought he was above the law of God, and so he had Uriah killed. His heart had lost its purity. One writer says his, his heart had lost its suppleness. It was no longer open and soft to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And, and David went from being one of the wisest people in his area, in his era, to acting like a fool. He knew better, but something inside of him cracked. And it's interesting. If you read the history of David, you'll see it was basically from that point on that his uh, kingdom and his family fell apart. Sin, the sin of pride, is very subtle. It starts very small and simple, but it can destroy a monarchy. In the book of Proverbs, we read this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to the little things. We need to pay attention to our heart. Is our heart getting hardened to the things of God? We need to pay attention to uh, what kind of person we are. Are we becoming judgmental of others, judging them as less than ourselves? And we have to recognize, are we in accountable relationships where other people can speak into it. Ultimately, David was in an accountable relationship. The prophet Nathan came and spoke into his life and convicted him of his sin. And we see in Psalm 51 uh, the remorse of David for what he has done. We all need to deal with those little sins. The first one we're looking at is the sin of pride. The second one we're going to look at is the sin of omission. Verse 17 in James chapter 4 says this, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, I hope we all realize that there are sins that take place because we do wrong things, and there are sins that take place because we don't do the right things. Sins of commission, doing wrong things. Sins of omission, not doing the right things. So we need to recognize that that happens. Uh, one of the best uh, illustrations in Scripture that I believe that we can look at is the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10. We're not going to read it, but I'll just tell you the story. If you remember the story, there was a Jewish traveler. He was traveling from one part of the country to another part, and he was uh, set upon by robbers and thieves. They beat him up. They took everything they had, and they left him for dead on the side of the road. Now, in the story, Jesus tells Basically, there are three people who come by, and uh, 
what's startling is what transpires. The first person who comes by is a priest, someone who was a, a shepherd of the people, someone who was supposed to care for Israel and for fellow Israelites. Um, for whatever reason, he sees the dead man, not the dead man, the dying and an injured man lying on the road. And instead of going to his aid, he actually crosses over to the other side of the road to steer clear of him and goes on his way. The next person who comes by happens to be a Levite, a little less than a priest, but part of the religious leadership of Israel, and he too does the same thing. The third person who comes by, and this is the one that's startling to everybody, happens to be from Samaria. He's a Samaritan, all right? We think of the word the good Samaritan as a positive term, but in Jesus' day, the word Samaritan, uh, to say good and Samaritan together would be an oxymoron. Those two words wouldn't go together because... Uh, the Jewish people and the Samaritans were from different ethnic backgrounds and they didn't get along. There was basically uh, racism and bias between them. But startling everybody who heard his story was the Samaritan man saw the injured Jewish traveler and he went there and he cared for him and then he took him to an inn and provided for his complete recovery. But the sin of omission is what I want us to focus on. The priest and the Levite. They omitted doing the good that was right in front of him. And the reality is that we have to recognize that when we omit caring for a fellow human being, we're committing a sin, the sin of omission. As James would say, the Levite, and the priest, they knew the good that they should do, but they didn't do it. It's interesting. If you go to the Greek language, uh, the Greek language ha has a word for sin, and it's harmatia. Harmatia, interestingly, means this, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor. To miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor. When we sin... By omitting caring from somebody, we have wandered from the path of uprightness and honor. We've failed to do the right thing. When we sin by omission, we know the good that we should do, and we don't do it. The priest and the Levite knew that. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes we sin by omission because um, we intentionally don't want to do something that comes across our eyes. We see it, we know we should do it, and we don't do it. Sometimes we sin by omission, not because we intentionally want to omit something, but because we're not paying attention. But it's still that idea that we are responsible for what we need to know. When we sin by omission, it's a little thing, but it's something that we have to recognize that we have been exposed to God's word and we're responsible for what we've been taught and we need to be faithful. Here's the reality. You know, when we go back to, to any catastrophe, any failure, they all start small. A sin of omission seems really small, infinitesimal. Uh, in a world where we've told, been told to be proud of what we do, the sin of pride seems like a small pride. But, but again, all catastrophes start small. You know, in the, in the scriptures, 
We're told that we're supposed to confess our sin. I know as, as fellow followers of Jesus Christ, even, even as your leader, I don't spend enough time regularly asking God to forgive me of my sin. And so I believe one of the natural responses to a message like this is to, to take some time to reflect before God and ask him to forgive us for the little sins and the big sins and ask him to help turn us away. That's the idea of repenting, turning away from the sins that we're tempted to do. So uh, I want to spend some time this morning just in a, in a time of confession of prayer, and I'll kick it off, but then I'm going to uh, let you spend some time in silent prayer confessing the subtle sins and the huge sins. And, and this is important because we're going to be moving into the Lord's Supper, and so uh, Scripture tells us that we're supposed to Prepare for taking the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, um, by confessing our sins. So uh, just in this time of silence, uh, let's bow our heads, and I'm going to start us into a prayer of confession and then let you just continue in your silent prayers. Father, we recognize that you've called us to be your follower. Uh, Lord, you've called us to be your followers so that we would be faithful to you. And Lord, as we do that, we recognize that you have told us very clearly uh, what is right to do. And when we don't do it, Lord, we know we sin. So, Lord, I pray that you would hear our, sin, our confession of our sins this morning, those small, subtle sins and then those large and evident sins. So, Lord, hear our prayer. Father, we thank you that in Scripture we're told that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you remove our sins from us when we confess them. So, Lord, thank you. I thank you for that opportunity to confess to you. And thank you for that assurance of our forgiveness and our pardon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.